Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So I know we want good competition in the NBA Finals. I get it. But did you guys know this already? Did you guys know that if the Finals go seven games, they end two weeks from yesterday? Two weeks after Game 2, which, by the way, had two days off between Games 1 and Game 2. The Finals go Game, two days off, Game, two days off, Game, one day off. Yeah, that's right. They have to do two games in Boston Wednesday, Friday of this week. And then it goes all the way to Monday and then all the way to Thursday, and then all the way to Sunday again. There's only one game in the whole finals where there's only one day off in between games. So anytime I get on here and I start complaining about how long, how painfully long the NBA playoffs go, this is why. The regular season ended two months back from Friday of this week. It'll have been two months from the end of the regular season on Friday of this week. And the finals will still be going. And could go for nine another d- additional days. It's out of control. Get this under control. Finals have been interesting so far. Boston took game one with a monster shooting performance, particularly in the fourth quarter. I think they put up 40-plus points in that frame. Marcus Smart had four threes. Al Horford had six. Derek White had five. And it's simplistic analysis to say that was the key, but when those three guys combined to hit 15 three-pointers, the Warriors hitting 19 as a club, which would probably normally be enough, wasn't enough. Then you loop back around to Sunday, Warriors hit 15 threes, Celtics as a team hit 15 threes. Not those three guys. Derek White hit two, Al Horford zero, and Marcus Smart zero. So you've kind of seen both ends of that spectrum. Those guys hitting 15 threes and then those guys hitting two. And it's why NBA sides, in my estimation, and totals too to some degree, are especially hard these days is because there's so much statistical variance that goes into it. Although, after we saw that in Game 1, I think it was a pretty reasonable assumption to look at Game 2 and say, well, look, like here's the thing. Even if Jason Tatum does better, that's one guy having a better shooting game and you know three, four other guys that probably get worse. Because almost everybody on the Celtics had a good shooting game in Game 1, except for Jason Tatum. And they'd certainly take that. They'd rather have four or five guys shoot well and one guy shoot poorly as opposed to the other way around, which is kind of what happened yesterday. But we'll talk more about the finals on Wednesday of this week because that's when the next damn ball game is. By the way, Boston three-and-a-half point favorite in that one on Wednesday. Total of 212-and-a-half after the first game finished at 228 with the two teams shooting well. And again, you know, pace-wise, it hasn't been that crazy fast of a ball game. Total on game one ended at 214. Total on game two ended at 214. And that one went under, and they're pretty much leaving it where it is because they've looked at it and they've said, oh, well, you know what? This is the teams are each somewhere in the neighborhood of about 108 or so possessions. So you roll those together, you're somewhere in the neighborhood of about 215 possessions for the two clubs. 
Uh, and as series roll along, defenses get better, shooting percentages get worse, pace tends to actually decrease, even if you do at some time see a couple extra shots in the game, and so they leave it about the same, maybe even bring it down a point or a half point. But again, we'll talk about that uh, on Wednesday when we get there. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. It's a new week. This is offseason show number 41, I believe. I admit, I lose track, particularly over the weekend, because, you know, when you say it every day, you start to remember it, and then you go a couple days without saying something, and I don't know, it is what it is. But we had three weeks in April, we had, I think, four weeks in May, and then one week here that rolled into June, so that would be eight weeks. I think this is off-season episode 41. I haven't actually been etching the lines in my wall here, like you know, like an old-timey prison cell kind of thing. I can't do that because the wall right here is right next to my bed. Recording studio, if you can even call it that. Today's show, we're talking about the Charlotte Hornets. By the way, I'm Dan Baspers. Thanks, as always, for listening, everybody. Uh, hey, final note, uh, final number on May. Uh, again, comparing it to last June, which was the week where you went from the conference finals to the finals. So no regular season games, no NBA draft, no free agency, nothing of that sort. Uh, and the official number, not that I don't, I don't know if you guys actually care about this or not, but maybe you do. Like these, these are the things that kind of drive my day-to-day. What am I doing? Why am I so laser-focused on this stuff? Uh, it's the thing that makes you want to get up and record a podcast in the morning. Such a weird... It just seems insane to say it like that. Um, but the final number on that was actual growth year over year. 39%. That's pretty sweet. 39% jump in our first true off-season month. I can't even really fathom what that would mean if it actually carried over into the regular season, but if it does, that's a really huge podcast listenership uh, bump up so thank you everybody you guys have been amazing let's keep this rolling here because the offseason ticks along yeah chugging we're chugging charlotte hearts are an interesting one too and I, I debated doing them on friday's show we ended up uh doing the clippers instead because there actually sort of was more to that then at, at first look, which like, yes, you're, you know, you're dealing with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but there's actually stories kind of around those guys as well. The Hornets are similarly interesting, but for very different reasons. The Hornets are very interesting because there isn't any one guy that's either not coming back or coming back that's going to shake things up all that much. But there is a potential coaching change. I mean, there is a coaching change, but there's a potential name that we hinted at late last week and does seem to still be the front runner that could really shake things up. And then as far as the rest of the roster is concerned, you're also looking at a little bit of a health mean reversion in the wrong direction. Meaning, and you know, none of this is, is completely set in stone, but LaMelo Ball played 75 out of 82 games. Terry Rozier missed a couple of weeks right at the beginning of the season. And then he was basically healthy the rest of the way. He played 73 miles bridges, 80 out of 82 games. Kelly Oubre, 76. P.J. Washington, only 65. He had a little bit of a dinged-up deal. But Montrezl Harrell, who actually is coming off the book, 71. Cody Martin, 71. Mason Plumley, 73. 
there was really only, you know, and PJ, what, one, two, three games underneath the league average, so he wasn't a complete disaster. There was really only one actually injured guy on the Hornets this last year, and that was Gordon Hayward, who played only 49 games again. And that's not uncommon with Gordon, who uh, continually has health stuff. And for a while here lately, you could have been like, oh, fluky this, fluky that. He had the thing where, you know, his whole leg exploded back in 2017. He hasn't actually been healthy since that day. Yes, he played in 72 of Boston's games the following year, so only missed 10, but he really wasn't himself. He was sort of slowly working his way back into shape. And then 52 with Boston in the COVID year, 44 his first season with Charlotte, 49 this most recent year. The 44 was out of 72, the 49 is out of 82. So you're now cooking on three seasons in a row of 20 games missed, 28 games missed, 33 games missed. It's going the wrong way. From a fantasy standpoint, he continues to put up pretty good numbers. Even this year in what you'd call kind of a down season for him, he still scored 16 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists, a steal, 1.83s, good uh, efficiency. And so that dropped him in the mid-70s, which is low for him. You want him up, like, he, he'd sort of perennially been closer to, even as his roles tapered off a little bit last couple of seasons, he'd been closer to 50 than 75, but he's closer to 75 this year. And then the health thing is the one that really beats you down. What we don't really know is if Gordon Hayward's going to be on the Hornets this coming season. He's a guy that has been rumored to be in potential Russell Westbrook deals because he has two years left on his contract, 30 mil and then 32 the next couple seasons, and Russ has the one 40-some-odd million dollar year. So for the Hornets, it would get them out of a year. And if you're the Lakers, you're thinking, well, we just got to do what we can. We have, what, one, maybe two good years left from LeBron James at absolute maximum. And I know he's an android, but he's just not going to be this version of himself for that much longer. And if you're the Hornets, you want to clear out space for two seasons from now because next year things are already sort of locked in. Like, sure, if you put Russ on this team, yeah, you hamstring yourself a little bit, but you'll give a... a a deal to Miles Bridges, whatever that turns out to be, and then you're kind of fine. The following year, Kelly Oubre comes off the books, Mason Plumley, Nick Batum, who they were still paying some money to. I don't know exactly how much that is after he got bought out and ended up on the Clippers. Um, and you've got to start thinking about LaMelo Ball. He'll be getting paid a couple years from now, not the next year, but the one after that. P.J. Washington is going to get paid a year after this. They're going to need salary cap space for the year after this coming one and if they can unload Gordon Hayward whatever that might take because both those teams would actually want to be somewhere else it's it's the Malcolm Brogdon phenomenon that we talked about on the Pacers broadcast they're inclined to want to get rid of these guys there there's a redundancy issue and a timeline issue for these younger teams that a team like the Lakers like you know whatever it doesn't matter we're going to be hamstrung by LeBron and whatever's going on around him for at least two years, so let's just eat it. That's not to say that L.A. would have any leverage in a conversation because most teams know they need to get out of the rust business, but then the Lakers also would know that, yes, sure, the Hornets could just sit on Gordon Hayward, but they'd be much happier to have Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, P.J. Washington, 
James Booknight on the books for the year after this coming season, and then presumably Miles Bridges, who they'll probably sign to an extension this offseason, uh, or qualifying offer, but that feels like not really the right move there, and not Hayward's $32 million. So you'll have a big contractor, Ozier, or medium, whatever you want to call it. LaMelo will be the year after that that he'll get paid, but Miles will be getting paid. PJ will be getting a little bit of a raise. And they're just going to want to have that room that they don't really need this coming season. Because they have Ubre for 12.5 mil, because they have Plumley for 9, and because they're still paying some other bodies, they're sort of locked into this extra 20, 30 million dollars that's just not going anywhere. Even if they move it in the middle of this season, they're going to be getting nearly equal value in contracts coming back. That's how the salary cap has to work. So they can't really make the hard pivot that they want to this year. And they'll have a much tougher time doing it even the following season if they still have to deal with Hayward's 32 mil. If they can get that off the books, what a core. LaMelo, Rozier, PJ, Miles, Booknight, and then space around those guys? That's awesome. So... I don't know that Gordon Hayward's going to be back in Charlotte this coming season. You know he's on the block, and there are plenty of teams that would that are uh, would be interested in his services, provided he could maybe stay somewhat healthy, or maybe they're you know they have loftier expectations, so they could afford to rest him more often. I don't know what that situation might be exactly, uh, but his efficiency fits on most teams. Whatever you think of Hayward, you know durability and as a human and all that other stuff, his game fits. That's the way we like to look at these guys. Sort of, you know, fantasy numbers. It's more of a commodity than anything else. Gordon Hayward as the commodity fits. And from a Roto standpoint, he's going to get drafted pretty late. You know, going, ending with a per game number in that 75 range, three seasons in a row of not being even remotely healthy, you'll be able to get him at a pretty good price. But if he's not in Charlotte, why would you? Let's say, hypothetically, he ended up on the Lakers behind LeBron and Anthony Davis. I don't know. I mean, he you could see him getting 12 and a half shots on a team like that. Like, I don't think his role would actually be all that much smaller on that club. But it is, it, it's not going up. Efficiency might. He's very much a Roto per game, or Roto games cap kind of play. And we need to know where he's going to be. Let's just, again, for kind of argument's sake here, we... Let's say he stays put. Where would I even consider drafting a guy like Hayward? A hundred. Even 90, I'd consider it, because he probably beats that on a per-game basis. And hopefully, at that point, you've maybe taken one injury shot in, like, your first six rounds. We talked about Kristaps Porzingis back on, I think, Thursday show last week. Or Wednesday? I don't remember what day. It doesn't matter what day. It's all It all blends together into one unholy mush here in the offseason but you know like like maybe a fifth rounder you take a shot on someone that might have that really big per game upside and isn't going to be healthy but your first four picks are hopefully playing most of their games after your fifth pick was risky your sixth seventh pick those guys are a little bit safer again perhaps and then maybe your eighth pick maybe that's where you look at Hayward like pick 92 or something like that so put him in that 
put him in another new category on your board. You know, the, the scary injury guys. What did I call them on the Dan Basper Sold Man Squad here? The, uh, the games cap only flyer type plays. This last year it was Chris Dobbs and Horford and some other guys that, that actually was probably the most successful category on our list. Um, because well, all you're expecting out of Hayward, you just try, you know, you're hoping for like 55 games out of 82. If you get to 60, it's a huge win. 62 or anything above that, you're cooking with serious gravy or gas, whatever you use to cook. All right, so let's wipe Gordon Hayward off the board here for a minute. As a, a ro- I mean, you're not drafting him in head to head. He's way too dangerous there. But Roto, there is a price at which I would take a look at him, and I think he's been disappointing long enough now where he may end up as a potential value this coming year. What about the guys that were actually values this season? I know, like, Dan, you just spent like eight minutes on Gordon Hayward. Why? Well, because everybody has a story on this team. And LaMelo Ball, who was just fantastic for so long, pretty much finished on a per-game basis right around his ADP which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. By totals, he busted his ADP, crushed it. New number eight by totals, thanks to being durable and playing in about seven more games than the average NBA player this season. That's a great thing. But remember, he started the year, and he was a first-rounder per game for a while, and then fell off pretty good by midseason. What version of LaMelo is coming through next year? What about Miles Bridges? He was a first-round pick for a while, and he finished at number 31. Actually fell behind Terry Rozier on a per-game basis. After that huge first month and a half, he was more like a top 50, top 60 guy the rest of the way, which is still good. Still would have been a colossal win. And obviously he was a colossal win because he played in 80 out of 82 games at that clip. But where does he sit next year? Terry Rozier, a little bit of a slow start awesome mid and late season run for Rozier. He was a first rounder for about two months in the mid late part of the season, finished at number 30 per game, beat that mark by totals because again, a lot of these guys were pretty damn healthy this year. And even Kelly Oubre, thanks to his durability, made it inside the top 100 on the, in the season as a whole, Uh, but per game, he wasn't even close. And then what of PJ Washington who wasn't super durable finished right at the edge of the top 100. Turnovers being one of his positive categories. Blocks was a positive category. And then threes for PJ was actually his only other positive impact category this year. So he was a byproduct of low turnovers and percentages that were sort of non-impact. And we talked about this before. A guy that's kind of league average and everything is right around like top 75, top 80 range. Those guys are actually useful. In Roto, they just slowly accrue stats and head-to-head, they sort of don't drag you back at all and also collect stats. Those are the accumulators. Someone who's league average in most things. And PJ was pretty close to that. A little sub-average in assists, but you know what? He's a center, so whatever. And then a little bit above average in blocks because, you know, he's a center. But where is he going to be this coming season? That comes down to a coach as well. Let's say Mike D'Antoni is installed as the head coach. I think there's going to be a whole lot of buzz around this team, and you're going to have a lot of trouble sorting through that and actually getting to what makes sense. I'll say this. LaMelo's probably going near the turn 
this coming year. Even though his per game was 21, he was durable and he was fun. And that combination, so, you know, again, because he got off to that hot start and because his counting stats are stratospheric, 20 points, 3 3, 7 boards, 7.5 assists, 1.6 steals, people are pretty willing to overlook the fact that he had big turnovers and low field goal percent. He wasn't a punt guy. It wasn't that bad. Not even close. It's very hard to be as good as he was when you're uh, pretty good in a lot of stuff. Pretty good to very good in a bunch of things. Uh, You know, you got to be like Rudy Gobert level negative impact in a category to pull you back down into the second round. And that's not really what happened here because he had two categories where he was kind of bad. Turnovers, field goal percent, and, you know, not really worried worried about blocks. Point four is actually fine from your point guard. But because he's fun, because he scores, shoots threes, boards, assists, steals, it's going to be that, you know, Wes Brookian effect, which please don't interpret me as saying he's going to have that type of fantasy appeal, which is none. But he's going to always now, after this last season, get overdrafted. He was drafted right around where he finished on a per-game basis. Yes, again, he beat that by totals. But he was drafted in the late second round. It looked like it was going to be a crazy big win at the beginning of the year. It ended up as a kind of a, well, it really depends on what sort of league you're in, but we'll call it a win. Um, and, you know, not even worrying about what Mike D'Antoni would do. If LaMelo Ball is getting drafted on the turn, you've pretty much obliterated his upside. Maybe the field goal percent gets better season over season, but it's very hard to see him ticking up in usage with the team still in their current makeup. Now, if Rozier is still there, if Miles Bridges is still there, Hayward or whoever they bring in for Gordon Hayward, still there. These guys are taking the other shots. They're not disappearing. What about Miles Bridges? What about Terry Rozier? Now, these guys, to me, fall in a slightly different bucket. Uh, I think there was a lot of disbelief that Rozier could follow up one good season with another one. And not only did he follow it up, but he actually got better. Because he was both durable, which, again, this is now two seasons running on the Terry Rozier durability uh, freight train. Not only did he actually play in the ball games, um, he only missed three games last year. He missed nine this season. Not only did he play in the games, but he put up good numbers. And it was almost the same, actually, year over year. The difference, uh, turnovers actually went way down for him. So, yes, his scoring was down by one point, but turnovers decreasing by .6 and assists going up by 0.3, and free throw percent up by about 3.5%, that actually counterweighted the drop in scoring, and he got better from being a top 40 guy to closer to a top 30 guy. I don't know that people believe, even after two years, that this is what Terry Rozier can do. He's, believe it or not, I mean, he was a ridiculous value two seasons back because nobody saw that sort of mega leap coming. He was still getting drafted in like the 70 to 100 range this last year, even after a top 40 per game season and a top 20 totals season. Not this last year, but the previous one, uh, the 72-game scheduled 72-gamer, that because people were so uh, concerned that it wouldn't stick and the field goal percent would drop back off a whole bunch, he stayed way later than he should have been. And his field goal percent held in the 45. He was 45 two years ago. He's 44.4 this most recent season. So it held. 
This is who he is now. I don't know that he gets any better. I think we might be seeing kind of like peak Rozier in this format. Maybe Mike D'Antoni unlocks a little bit of something. Typically, that's more a point guard under D'Antoni. But Rozier, great free throw shooter too. Does a lot of stuff. I don't think he gets drafted in the third round despite being a third rounder this year. I don't think he gets drafted in the fourth. I think he probably ends up getting drafted in the fifth, which makes him... I might need a category on the old man squad just called the DeMar DeRozan Honor Squad, which is like guys that always finish in the 40s who always get drafted in the 60s (laughs) or like around 60. The DeMar Specials. That's where he always is, and I feel like that's what's going to keep happening with Rozier. Ah, he's not going to do this again, people will say. Ah, he's not going up from here. There's no excitement there, but good and durable is exciting, especially if you can get it in the fifth. What if he went later than that? Now, Miles Bridges, I don't really know. You know, there's a, so much hype around his season, and for good reason. He had a really good year. Um, He's an example of someone who was not only league average in every category, but actually slightly better than league average in almost every single category out of nine. He was better than league average in scoring. 20 points will get you there. Two threes is a little bit better. Seven boards is medium better. Three-point out assists, a little better. 0.9 steals is like right on league average. 0.8 blocks, tiny bit better. 49% field goal, that's medium better. 80% free throw, that's right around average. 1.9 turnovers, that's right around average. So... His worst categories, steals, free throws, turnovers, were basically break-even. And then everything else was a win. Field goal, block, rebound, threes. Scoring was kind of your, your bigger win. But that gets you to top 35, what he did. I don't think he gets drafted in the third round either. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of disbelief. And I also think that it's fair. It's fair. Because in the middle of the season, he he did fade. He came on strong towards the end of the year again. And, and yeah, there were guys out. Uh, Hayward basically didn't play the final month and a half. Um, I mean, I guess that was the the big injury in that mix. So, that, you know, that thrust a little bit more back on Miles Bridges. After he got off to that first-round start, he sort of settled in the in the 50 range for about two and a half months, and then he was back up in the 30s down the stretch. He's probably between 30 and 55 over the course of an entire year if you remove that absurd beginning-of-the-season blitz that he put on. And it was crazy. You know, that's like, we need to give plaudits there because he was nuts for that first five or six weeks. He was, where was he at? Not the first 20 games because he had already started to taper off a little bit by then. It was like from late October to mid-November. So basically like the first month of the year, he was a, he was a mid-second round guy on 21 combined defensive stats. That was the one that actually changed over the course of the year. Because even though he was floating between 30 and 50 towards the end of the season, it it wasn't on 2.5 defensive stats. It was on like 
1.5, And that's probably more what you get out of him. But, and, you know, we'll get back into this same thing again, he played in 80 out of 82 games, and this is a thing where, you know, he prides himself on that. He missed two games his freshman year in the NBA, seven second year, six his third year, and two this last season. He plays. And not only do you have a huge uptick in usage this year, his efficiency held. I get it. The points are good. The rebounds are... But there's nothing really about him... Like, we saw the really cool stuff happening, and it was exciting, but when you break down his fantasy game, there isn't any one category where you're like, oh, well, this is the one that Miles Bridges is going to really win me on a week-to-week basis, because he is that kind of, like, Kawhi without the defensive stats kind of stat line, where you're like, oh, he's pretty good in a lot of stuff, and that's fine, but it doesn't inspire people in the way they're like, oh, well, I'm going to do my pairings in the first few rounds. Miles Bridges isn't going to make his way into anybody's pairings because he's not excellent at anything. I'm going to get my whatever category from Miles. Is not a statement that's going to get uttered on draft day because he isn't that. So it makes me think that he, maybe less so than Rozier, people are going to look at it and go, well, what am I really getting out of this player other than good in a lot of stuff? floats my team in a bunch of things, doesn't hold me back in anything. I would love to have that at every single spot on, on the floor, but I need to, like, I'm going to hunt Terrozier. He's going to really give me a good shot to win threes on a week-to-week basis, or steals, and LaMelo assists and threes and steals. Like, these guys, there are things they do that jump off the page the way that, in a way that with Miles Bridges, it doesn't. So he probably gets drafted back near... I don't know, mid-40s, if I had to guess for next year, which is probably a pretty fair spot for him. Not exciting. I don't know how many teams he's going to end up on. But Miles Bridges may soon find himself on the, if we're going to have a DeMar DeRozan uh, honorary squad on the Dan Vespers Old Man squad, maybe we need a Tobias Harris honorary squad. Because Miles Bridges is that kind of guy. He's someone that scores and rebounds, on good percentages, and then not really a whole lot else. Look at Miles Bridges this year to some of the Tobias Harris gets Dan excited seasons. Miles Bridges, 27-4, with 1.7 defensive stats on 49% from the field and 80 at the free throw line. That's what you're looking at with him. And I know Tobias had a down year this season. They brought in James Harden midway through the year. He was a little more dinged up than usual. Seven, I mean, you know, it's saying something. He only missed nine games still. But, like, look at last year. Tobias Harris last year, 19.5 points, seven boards, 1.7 defensive stats, 1.3 threes, 51% from the field, 89 at the free throw line. So a little better at the foul line, a little better from the field, but, you know, slightly fewer three-pointers but I mean you're talking about uh like almost a near match with those guys Miles Bridges is his fantasy game is Tobias Harris 
with significantly better athleticism, which makes you think, hey, maybe Miles Bridges can get his field goal percent even one or two clicks higher. But 49 is still pretty good. Um, I don't know where he's going to go exactly. There's a, I think there was enough buzz around his name this last year that he still goes a little earlier than the Tobias range or the DeMar range or whatever we want to call these guys. And then the last one I want to talk about is P.J. Washington. And to me, his year, his upcoming season, hangs more on the D'Antoni news than almost anybody. Because you know if Mike comes in, it's going to be small ball time. And P.J. is going to get his 30 minutes. And he's going to get his three-pointers. And it's going to be launch town. I like P.J. Washington, actually, as someone that's probably worth drafting anyway, um, although Mason Plumley is still around, and the coach will have an impact on that one. P.J. probably makes more sense on the head-to-head side uh, if it's not Mike D'Antoni because you get kind of an accumulator at center who hits you some threes, gets you some blocks, some steals. Like Percentages are fine, but not terrible. But again, not really doing any one thing that really lifts your team. It's not a super exciting grab around pick 115 or 120 or wherever we think he ends up going this coming year. If D'Antoni gets installed as head coach on the Hornets, uh, P.J. very much has top 70, top 75 potential for this coming year because of those extra three minutes per game and probably an extra two shots per game, which is a colossal deal for someone hovering around the 100 mark right now. So he's a guy that I think you put on the your your keep an eye on list in a different way that we had with Gordon Hayward. And then you've got Rozier and Bridges who are kind of on that Tobias DeMar where what's their ADP watch kind of thing. And then Lamella Ball, who probably gets a tiny bit overdrafted, but I don't know that anybody is actually gonna be that upset about it because he's so damn exciting. And if if D'Antoni gives him the point guard reigns the way that he has with teams in the past Look out. You might see that 7.6 assists go up to 9 this coming year. And then he'd probably be worth the pick at that point. The only thing that worries me a little bit as the final thought on the Hornets here before we wrap this thing up is how many years in a row can Rozier, Bridges, LaMelo play in most of the team's ballgames? And for LaMelo, this is, he missed some time in his rookie season, so this was sort of one season of full activity Rozier, it's a couple. Bridges, it's a few. I mean, we're talking about basically four years where Miles has been pretty damn healthy, and he spends a lot of time 75 feet off the court with the biggest, most electrifying jams that anybody throws down. How many times can you go up that high and then come down okay? Durable until they're not, but to this point they have been, and I think you have to trust that they will be until that switch goes the other way. You just, you know, you don't want to get stuck with this season where it happens, but also, you know, that's a situation like with betting where a team's super-duper hot and you're fading them because you want to be the smart guy who catches the team when they finally cool off. I would rather go on the data we have and then react after something's happened as opposed to, oh, you know, I'm going to avoid Miles Bridges every year because at some point he's not going to be durable anymore. But that could be one, two, three, four, five years down the line. We don't know yet. It's not like a car where you hit a certain number of miles and then it's just all done. Bridges is still very young. He could have two to three more fully healthy years under his belt before something goes the other way. Same story with LaMelo. He's not Lonzo. I mean, he's already shown himself to be more durable than Lonzo. And Rozier's been pretty healthy lately, too. 
I like the Hornets. They should be fun this coming year. We'll end up with someone on that team on our fantasy teams. I don't know who it's going to be. It might be Hayward if we're if we end up doing the Roto thing and taking a shot on him late and hope he stays a little healthier. Might be PJ if we think they go small ball center. Might be Rozier again. We had him in a lot of spots this season. Don't know why he was going as late as he was. But he was. And it was great. Tomorrow we will continue our exploration. I don't know where we're going next, and I'm not going to pause the podcast to find out who has the next worst record because we're already 37 minutes into this thing. Have a delightful rest of your Monday, everybody. Apologies for the late release today. Should be back, I think, to a closer to a normal calendar tomorrow. Uh, but the kids are on summer break now, so things are going to get a little cockamamie for a week or two uh, before they start some sort of summer camp. I'm Dan Bespris for fantasy nba today hey check out the mlb and nfl guys you're starting to do it i can see the numbers ticking up keep doing it love y'all see you tomorrow